Good morning. I'm reading from John chapter 4, verse 4 through 30. And Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Saker, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of this water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Then they went out of town and were coming to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What do I have to do tomorrow? I've got a whole long list of stuff I have to do. A list so long, it's probably impossible for me to ever get it done. try to check off a few more have-tos, turn to someone near you and ask them, what do you have to do tomorrow? And then listen for their response. What do you have to do tomorrow? Um, let's go through some general things. How many of you have to go to the grocery store later today or tomorrow? Yeah. How many of you have to go to the bank sometime today or tomorrow? Uh, I guess you can't go today. Tomorrow. Yeah, right. Uh, how many of you have to take care of bills tomorrow or something like that, right? You have to do. Does anybody have a have to do that's kind of off the beaten path. Like this is kind of a strange thing, but I have to do it. Anybody bold enough to share some weird, I, I know this is unusual, but I have to do this. What do we have to do? Feed 36 calves. Anybody else? Is that on your have to? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe some, but very few, right? Yeah. I have to. 
Um, the problem with have to is that we have to go to the doctor. We have to go to the grocery store. We have to go, oh, it's the end of the month. So how many of you have to go to the tag office? Uh, I don't know what number or what letter is up, but, you know, uh, there's a long line at the end of the month at the tag office. And the problem is that there are so many things that we have to do that we could drown in the have to's and we never get around to the, I have to do this because this is the way I'm, this is the thing I'm wired up for. This is the thing that I'm passionate about. This is the thing that I want to do, right? We get buried in those things. Ah, I have to do. So what if we could change have to, to I have to do it. I have to do this. And I know that this much is true, that God, the way he designed you, he designed you to do, want to do things where you have to do them. They are passions, they're dreams, they're missions in your life. When God thought you up, when he gave life to you, at the same time, he gave you a dream and he wired you up in ways so that you could fulfill that dream. And it's something that you and only you have to do to fulfill your mission in life. Frederick Buchner said this. He said, our calling is where our greatest passion meets the world's greatest need. Our calling is where our greatest passion meets the world's greatest need. And so somewhere near the intersection of your passion and the world's need is your mission. And that's what we're going to try to journey through here in the next few weeks as we talk about this series called Bless. The hope is that every one of us will discover a mission so compelling, so big, that at the end of the day, it's not just a have to. It is a I have to do this. Okay? So, let's start with John chapter 4. There's a famous story there. And the famous story goes something like this. Very general. Just the highlights. Jesus travels through Samaria. He Uh, finds himself at a famous well. A woman comes to the well. He begins a dialogue with this woman. And because of his dialogue, at the end of it, she is changed. Her life is profoundly different. And she becomes a spokesperson. She becomes a person who has adopted this mission that Jesus has just given her. And so... Let's start at the very top. There's this one line that I want to point you to that we usually skip when we read this story. It's in verse, chap- it's in verse 4 of chapter 4. Um, and the line goes this way. We skip over it to get to the good stuff, but, but this is good stuff. Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's what the text says. He had to go through Samaria. That's an intriguing line. I need you to circle it in your Bible or circle it in your notes, wherever, wherever in your bulletin, wherever it is. And the reason it's intriguing is because we can read it one of two ways. We can either read, uh, he had no choice but to go through Samaria. That's one way we could read it, like your to-do list, right? It was a have to. It was like, insurance. I got to deal with insurance tomorrow, or I got to do laundry tomorrow. How many of you have that on your list? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Same old thing. Maybe we could read it. He had to go through Samaria. The problem is he didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, the expected thing for Jewish people to do 
when they were traveling, was to go around Samaria. When, whenever they traveled and their course was going to take them through Samaria, it was normal for Jews to avoid Samaritans at all costs. And that means that they would go around the whole country. There was a whole history of racial tensions and racial divides. And so the normal thing for Jesus to do would have been to go around Samaria and take the the route that every Jew took. And so that's what he really had to do. But he had to go through Samaria. So it has to be different. The second way we could read it is we could read it with the idea of a compelling cause. He had to go through Samaria. He didn't go the normal way around Samaria because there was a mission. God was sending him somewhere. He had to show up someplace for some purpose. And there he is in verse 5, 6, 7. He goes through Samaria because he had to. He wanted to, and he comes to this famous place. It's Jacob's well, and he's tired, and it's hot, and he sent his disciples on into town for food, and he's sitting alone at the well resting, right? And while he's there, a woman happens along and comes to the well, and she comes in order to draw some water. And we read in the text that it's noon. It's noon. That's an odd time for a woman to come to the well and draw water. Usually, uh, the drawing of the water was a community event with all the women in place, and it usually took place at early in the morning, probably 6 a.m. or better, and uh, it, was the, it was kind of the beauty shop of its day, right? You, you learned who w- did what uh, la- yesterday or last week, and you learned, uh, oh, y- your hair looks really nice today. Well done. Good job. And there's all this, you know, stuff, this community stuff that takes a place at the well. This woman wasn't there. That she's not a part of that. And we get a tip off that she probably is coming to this well at noon because she wants to be unseen for some reason. And so Jesus engages her in conversation and we quick, quickly find out why she came at noon so that she could be alone. Jesus, because he knows what's in every heart, he knows everything about every one of us. He starts talking to her and he points out to her that she's had five husbands. And number six that she's with is currently not her husband, but they are living together. And this is not kind of an award-winning lifestyle, especially in that day and age. And so at the very best, she has a bad reputation and that's why she comes to the well at noon. Or more likely, she's had so many failures in her life morally that her community group has labeled her an outcast and excluded her from coming in the morning. And so she comes at noon. And this woman, this woman is Jesus's mission. This is why he had to go through Samaria because he had to meet this woman. God put him on a mission to engage her with directness, with truth, but also with dignity and love. And there's a ton of other uh, scripture that we left out of the bulletin. We're just covering the highlights. There's a great long discourse that he has with this woman. And at the end of the day, He didn't care about her reputation. He didn't care about her rejection. And so I want you to notice that where no one else went, Jesus went. He had 
to go through Samaria for this broken woman. And where no one else cared, Jesus cared. He took time to talk to her, to find out where she was, to steer her towards truth. And when no one else loved, Jesus loved. He gave her what she needed for life. She thought she needed men. She thought men were the answer. But Jesus gave her God. And in so doing, Jesus changed her life. And in this one conversation, she went from being someone who came to the well at the hottest time of day to avoid being noticed by anyone to a woman so compelled by the love of Jesus that if we skip down to verse 28, we find that she went back into town to tell everyone else about the life-changing experience that she just had with Jesus. The text says she left her water jar. She went back into town. She told her neighbors Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. He knew everything about me. Could this possibly be the Christ, the Messiah that we've all been looking for? And Jesus' love compelled this woman so much that she she becomes the spokesperson in her community for him. I want you to think about that. Here's a person that was so impacted by this meeting, this chance meeting with Jesus, that once she was hiding from everyone, and all of a sudden, because of this meeting, she flips a switch and she actively begins to pursue those same people that she was trying to avoid earlier so that she can tell them about Jesus. And in the end, she didn't even get water. She left her jar. She went to town. She told her neighbors to come and see. But it didn't matter that she left her jar because now she had the most important kind of water. Jesus said, I will give you living water. And that's what she had. And that's what she wanted to tell other people about. Now, what makes this story important? Why, um, Why is it here and why are we tackling it as an introduction to our sermon series on bless? It's simple. We learn, number one, that Jesus had a Jesus mission. Jesus had a Jesus mission. He himself had a cause that was so compelling that he woke up every day thinking, this is what I have to do. Second, we have a Jesus mission. We have a Jesus mission. Everyone who really meets Jesus, who really sees who he is, can't help but come away from that experience with a Jesus mission too. As Christ followers, Jesus' mission is our mission. And the woman shows us that we too have a compelling cause. We have something that we wake up every day saying, I have to do this. It's the mission that Jesus gives us. And that mission... I want to dissect it. We see it here in the text. That mission is made up of three elements, three key elements to this mission. Number one, our mission is to reach people far from God, reach people far from God. The Samaritan woman was far from God. And by far from God, I don't mean that she wasn't spiritual. Not at all. She definitely was spiritual. She had spiritual questions. She had spiritual longings. She had spiritual interests. If you take time and read through this conversation, it was spiritually, uh, spiritually driven at every turn. And we are all fundamentally that way. We are all spiritual beings. 
But the difference between you and this woman was she had not yet found her way back to God. And that's why Jesus was there to reach her every day. There are people around you and around me. They are in our family. They're in our neighborhood. We work with them. We go to school with them. They're all around us and they're doing the same old stuff, the have-tos of life. And they're people who are still far from God. And Jesus calls us to reach them. Second, we are called to restore God's dream in the world. Restore God's dream in the world. God's dream and desire for all of us from the very beginning is for us to live in perfect relationship with him, but also perfect relationship with one another. That's his dream for us. And maybe you're like the Samaritan woman. Maybe you know somebody like the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman's life was a, a life that a full of broken dreams. There were clearly some people in her life that claimed to love her, and yet at the end of the day, they didn't love her well. Maybe, maybe because of that, and maybe because she made some bad choices herself, the dream God had for her was shattered. It was in broken pieces on the floor. Nobody starts out life, uh, starts out marriage, thinking... I hope I'm married five times, and I hope the sixth time I'm just living with somebody. No, nobody has that goal going in. But here's what happens. Life happens. And people make mistakes, and people do dumb things, and you live the, the best you know how day to day. And you do enough of that, and you're not really sure which way to turn, which way to go, because you don't have the right voices in your life, and suddenly you wake up on number six. And he doesn't want to walk you down the aisle. That's how that works. And there are people all around us like her, living in situations far less than what God ever dreamed. And because some of them are because of the choices they've made. Some of them because there are unjust people in their life that should have loved them in a better way. Sometimes both. And it's the person that you know that's in a marriage that never has never lived up to what they thought it would live up to and, and is ready to give up. It's the person who struggles with an addiction privately, but most people can't tell and they haven't hit bottom yet. It's people who are marginalized or forgotten. It's the single mom who's trying to raise kids. It's the elderly widow whose, wife, uh, whose family has left her and she's trying to make a home alone. It's a kid who walks on your sidewalk in front of your house every day and you know by looking at him or her, you just know that there are not enough wise voices in that kid's life for him to make wise decisions and good decisions. That's the picture. And that picture is our mission. Whenever we see anyone living their life in a condition or circumstance that is less than God dreamed for them, that's where we pick up the slack. Jesus wants us to restore God's dream for the lives of people. Our job is to come along and sit by the proverbial woman at the well and say, you know what, you've had five husbands and you're on guy number six. How's that working for you? Maybe you're trying to find something in a place that can't be found. Can I offer you a new place to look? And we help restore. 
So we reach, we restore. And then number three, we reproduce. We reproduce the Jesus mission in others. Reproducing the Jesus mission is exactly what happened in the life of this Samaritan woman. We don't have it in the bulletin, but if you skip down in your Bible to verse 39, we read this. It's an amazing thing. This woman who was far from God, who was an outcast from her people, is the very one who takes the mission of Jesus to her community. And not only does she do that, but verse 39 says she was successful. It says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. And so she no longer wakes up thinking, oh, I have to go get water. That's what I have to do. Now she wakes up thinking, there's something that I have to do. I was given living water and I've got to go give that to other people. That's what I have to do. In the Bible, we never read of a follower of Jesus who wasn't fully engaged in the mission of Jesus. And this woman at the well is no different in John chapter 4. And I wonder what made the difference. I think there's something going on, a principle that we can find in the Bible if we turn way back. I think there's something going on below the surface at the heart level that flipped the switch for this woman. And I want to look at it so that we can engage and execute the Jesus mission. I want to put uh, Genesis chapter 12 in front of you. The principle is an old one that we find way back in Jewish history. It comes from Genesis chapter 3. And this is where God comes to a guy named Abram. He's not Abraham yet. He's Abram. And he says, you're the guy. You're the guy I'm going to use to build a whole nation of people who will be devoted to me. You will be my chosen people. I will be your God. And this is what he says. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will, what's the word? Bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a, what's the word? Blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Blessed. The principle is this. We are blessed to bless. Pretty simple, but very profound. Say it with me. We are blessed to bless. Say it with me one more time. We are. We are. Very good. God gives blessing upon blessing to this guy named Abraham. If we read on through his story, he gets wealth and he gets land and he gets status and he gets influence and he gets a family. That one takes a while, but he finally gets it and he gets all of these blessings. And the text tells us why. Why does God bless him so much? I want to put that verse back up there and I want to highlight some things. I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a what? A blessing. We are blessed to bless. Whenever God gives us a blessing of any kind, they are never fully ours alone. God blesses us with things not so that we can store them up, but so that we can pass them on and be a blessing to other people. One of my friends says it this way. God doesn't fill buckets. He fills pipes. That's one of my friends. 
<laughs> I chuckled when I typed that, so I thought you might chuckle too. I don't know, Dusty's friend, you know. Um, God doesn't fill buckets. He fills pipes. Pipes, uh, buckets collect, right? But pipes direct. They move the blessing of God to other people. We are to be pipes and not buckets. And the woman at the well, she left her water jar, right? And that's symbolic because all of her time, the rest, the rest of her life, she was trying to fill her jar with everything she could find to try to um, fill her heart and her dreams and her worth and her beauty and her righteousness. And she was looking in all of these places to put stuff into her jar, into her bucket. But whatever she put in it never worked, never worked. And in talking to Jesus, in one conversation, she finds the thing that she should have been filling her water jar with, her bucket with, all along. She found God. In the text, we read this, that she left her jar at the well. And that is fitting because she discovered that the real life that she was after is not found in collecting anything. It's found in passing that blessing that we get onto others. She has no need to keep this living water that Jesus gives her for herself. It is to pass on to others. And she discovers very quickly that the more she gives it away, the more she has. And the water jar is not necessary. And so she's excited. She's excited to go and bless because she was blessed. We are blessed to bless. We are Very good. What about us? There's a practical strategy that we want to lay out in the next few weeks as to how we can do this kind of mission, how we can be effective in this Jesus mission. And the thing that uh, we've said over and over, even in this last few weeks, is bless. The strategy is to bless people. There are five practices to bless. Bless is an, an acronym. And each letter will stand for a daily practice that if we put into place, uh, we will be fulfilling the mission of Jesus. B is begin with prayer. L, listen with care. E, eat together. And the first S is going to be serve with love. And the second S is going to be share your story. And if you'll do, just do one of those things, just one of those things every day, it will transform your life. It will transform the lives of the people around you. And you will find yourself living out the mission of Jesus. This doesn't, this doesn't have to be hard at all. Now, some of you might be kind of shaking in your boots. Oh, my goodness. How in the world will I do this? I'm not really sure that I can go out and, and start blessing people. That's just not who I am. I, I want to give you a little toolbox, just three ideas maybe to help you along the way. Number one, uh, join something you think uh, you might love. Just, just go join something. If we, if we only spend time with Christian friends, then we won't have the opportunity to bless the women at the well types among us. Uh, the, women, the woman at the well was willing to, to go into a territory that she had formerly avoided. And maybe you can do that too. Maybe you can take up a new hobby. Maybe you can help with a school council. Maybe you can coach a kid's team. Maybe you can join a support group where you have struggled and now you have some expertise to 
to hand out in, in a group like that. And whatever group you're in, it all of a sudden becomes a very strategic place. Your Pokemon card collecting club really can matter. That's how it works. Because you will be reaching people. You'll be able to bless people who are far from God and give them the living water that they need. Number two, maybe you could do the opposite. Maybe you could invite somebody to join you in something that you already love. Maybe you are uh, a person that loves to garden. Maybe you love reading. Maybe you love pickleball. It really doesn't matter what it is. If you invite others to join you in that, just do it strategically so that you can bless them along the way. And number three is a really big help. Don't go alone. Don't go alone. Reach out in community with other believers. Maybe if you're intimidated by doing any of this, um, one of the ways that this can be less intimidating is if you bring other believers who have different gifts than you into the picture to help you do it. Maybe you are a very introverted person and you're not really sure if you can talk to other people. Okay, that's fine. Well, if you are an introvert, then do what you're good at. You're good at organizing things. That's what introverts do, right? So plan that golf outing on Thursday afternoon or plan that barbecue in your backyard on Friday night and then invite some extrovert believers into the picture so that while you're basting the ribs, they can actually fill the awkward silence that would exist if it was just you, right? That's what extroverts do. They do this, okay? And together, we can reach people very, very effectively. Here's, here's what I see in this woman at the well who turned instantly into Jesus' PR executive. I see a person who realized how much she was given <clears throat> and had no choice but to pass on what she was given to other people. She realized how blessed she was. And she said, I have to bless other people. There's a great story about Benjamin Franklin, who was a non-believer. He had very weird views about God. He would say to people, I'm not a Christian. I believe in a general God, but I don't believe that Jesus was God. And so I'm not a Christian. However, whenever the great evangelist George Whitfield would come to Philadelphia, Benjamin Franklin would never miss it. He loved to hear Whitfield preach. And so Whenever he went, though, the drawback was he would feel the presence of God in the place and he didn't like it. And one of the reasons he didn't like it was because at the end of the service, he would find himself giving a lot of money to the offering plate because George Whitfield started an orphanage in Georgia. And every time he preached, he would um, ask people to donate to this orphanage that he had started, and all of his money went to the orphans. The trouble was, for Franklin, that was whenever, whenever Whitfield preached, he always felt the presence of God, and he could not help but give to the offering plate. And he would always give way more than he ever wanted to. And so he would even say to himself beforehand, look, I'm, I'm not going to give that much. And every time, he would just empty his pockets. And so finally, he caught on to what was happening. He figured this out, and he knew that Whitfield was going to be in Philadelphia preaching again. 
And so Franklin determined, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get on that rat wheel again. Uh, And his solution was this. I'm going to go and I'm going to hear Whitfield preach, but I'm going to do it with empty pockets. I'm not taking any money. If I don't take any money, then I don't have to give what I don't have, right? And so he went. He went to hear Whitfield preach. And as Whitfield was preaching, the power of God fell on the congregation and the Holy Spirit moved in the place in a particularly special way that night. And at the end, when the offering plates came around, Benjamin Franklin found himself with empty pockets and he immediately found himself going to everyone around him and borrowing money from them so he could throw it in the offering plate. You know, the way you know you're really blessed is when you have to bless others in return. There's no choice. And here's here's the blessing we have. We have a Savior who had to come here for us. We were outcasts. We were the ones steeped in sin. But he had a mission. His mission was to reach us, to restore us, to reproduce himself in us so that everyone would hear of this great Savior who has given us life when we were dead in our sins. And because we have been blessed by this eternal life, it's not a a we have to do this. It's we have to do this to the extent that we understand how blessed we are, we will in turn bless others. So your new have to, your new have to today is this. Bring living water to those who are far from God. Bring living water to those who are far from God. We are blessed so that we can bless. Say it with me one more time. We are blessed to bless. Father, we thank you that you have given us so many blessings that you've given us so many things that we do not deserve. We were the ones who rebelled, who ran away from you. But in your great love for us, you chased us down. You sent your very son to come and take human flesh on himself to become human forever to live a perfect life on our behalf and then to sacrifice that perfect life on a cross so that we could be right with you. What a blessing that is, a blessing of life. We were literally saved from death because of what Jesus did. So Father, help us to understand how much we've been blessed so that we can go and bless other people. It's in Jesus' name we pray.